Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with Tori Hunter, one of the most iconic center fielders of all time, known as Spider-Man for scaling walls to rob home runs from would-be sluggers. Didn't get his arms extended as he raises one into right center field. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. And today we we have one of the best center fielders of my time. Anyway, in the last 30 years, we got Tory Hunter. He's taken a lot of homers away from a lot of people, but I don't think you took one away from me. Did you or am I wrong? No, Booney, you, you know I didn't take one from you. you, you <laughs> I got to say that. I got to say and, that to give you the option. What out, you, you hit the ball oppo. So you, you had a lot more power to right center, right field. I don't think a lot of people understand that. You hit a lot of balls to the opposite side. And uh, Safeco on the uh, – man, that was impressive. That was very impressive. <laughs> Safeco, they changed it, though. They've got – they brought the fences in. You might have seen that later in your career. Uh, but they brought the fences in, and, they, and the buildings now are constructed different. So they're saying that the 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 wind tunnels and the gusts go in a different way. It seems like the ball's getting out of there early, uh, easier than it did, you know, in the early two thousands. No, that's actually true because I think later on in my career, maybe the last couple of years of my career, uh, I, I started putting some balls out there, and I know I didn't hit them good. I was like, I know I didn't hit that good. And it started going out of there. You know, back in the day, it was tough to go out oppo or even right center. It was deep. And you would do that all the time. We were like, man, how's he doing that? But, you know, you, you got pie pie arms and you short stocky <laughs> dude, man. You had some compact in that thing, man. You had one of the best swings. I tried to do what you did uh, every once in a while and it ended up striking out, but it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> So let's go back to the beginning. Tory Hunter as a kid, uh, growing up, you were a football player. How did Tory Hunter choose baseball? How did you land on that? Was it your your passion? Was it your favorite? What, what made you a baseball player? Well, you know, for me, I was a football guy. You know, growing up, I I started playing football when I was five, and I didn't really play baseball till I was nine. Uh, my granddad, I used to go over to my grandparents' house. Uh, after school, I would walk there. They stayed down the street from the elementary school I was going to. And uh, my my mom and dad, they worked all day, all night. My mom worked out of town. So she didn't get home till late. So I went over there around 2.30, 3 o'clock after school. And the Cubs were on, and it was WGN. My granddaddy used to make me sit down and watch that game with my backpack on once I walked in the house. And I never understood a word he said. He he always mum. He'd be like, hur, 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 baseball, hur, you know, and I'd be like, what, what are you saying? But I knew to sit down and watch that game. And uh, Andre Dawson was uh, in, I think it was 1988, 87, when he hit 49 home runs. He got MVP that year. But every day I walked home uh, to my grandparents' house to school, this guy was hit a home run. He was hitting a home run every day. It was the seventh inning, sixth inning. Uh, we kept it was Cubs played, played nothing but day games back then. And I would catch Andre Dawson hitting his home run. Here's this African-American player. And I had a curl. Like, I don't know if you remember Jerry Curls. Oh, I um, do. Brett. 
You remember that? So we had yeah. these curls, you know, all the dripping stuff on your collar. Your collar is really <laughs> greasy. <laughs> and uh, and I saw Andre Dawson. He had one as an African-American player. I'm like, who is this guy? He kept hitting these home runs. I'm like, man, I want to be like him. Over time, I'll be watching it for a season, and I end up trying out for this team called Mad Butcher. And uh, and I had the stiff front leg. I hit like him. I threw like him. And then I got in pro ball. They started throwing those sliders. I had to change that swing. <laughs> you changed it pretty good. We go from you're growing up, you get drafted by the Twins, your first-round pick, and you get to the big leagues in 97. And, I, you know, I went back and, and, and I kind of had to, I, I kind of had the gist. I, I know your career, but I had to look back and, mm-hmm. all right, when did Tory get to the big? I just know Tory when I got to Seattle and we played against each other a lot. But uh-huh. you got to the big leagues in 97. And in 2000, you got sent down from the big leagues to the minor leagues for, Ooh. I think, 30 or 40 games. Is that accurate? Yeah, I got sent down for six weeks. And well, was, it's it it's tough. interesting, though. It's interesting. I'm going to let you answer that question. But, you know, I have that a similar story. It's like all of a sudden one day you get sent down. You know, a lot of people think out there listening to this podcast that a guy like Tory Hunter got to the big leagues day one and was just a superstar for 20 years in the big leagues. And, and they don't know some of the backstories of what we went through and how we got knocked down and, and sent to the minor leagues to, like you said, go work on your swing for six weeks, kid. That's what the, that's what the skipper yeah. tells you. I had a similar story when I was first coming to the big leagues and Lou Pinnell is the one that sent me down, but tell me about that 2000 season. Cause when you got sent down, cause when you got back, then it was off to the races and you never returned to the minor leagues. Right. I mean, even before that, in 1997, I got called up August 22nd in 1997. And, um, and before that, April 1997, I was in AA and I was sleeping in a car. So I was sleeping in a car in the parking lot because I didn't have the first month rent and I didn't have a roommate. And uh, so me and this guy by the, by the name of Armand Brown, we knew we had a, a four-game set to open up at home. So we decided to, to wait for our first check because we didn't have no money. And, um, and we slept in that car for four days. Uh, we'll get up, we'll, we'll, you know, start moving. The clubhouse guy knew we were sleeping out there. He opened it up for us early in the morning so we could take a shower. Then we would leave and go to the mall all day for four days. We knew we were going on a road uh, for ro- a road trip for 14 days. And by the time we get back, we'll have our first check and we can go get a a, a hotel and stay in the hotel. And, uh, and we did that for, I almost quit. I called my wife, I called my brother. My wife said, don't quit. Wait till the season's over with. My brother said, if I quit, he's going to kick my butt every day uh, that we're home. So I didn't want to fight him. And uh, so it just, it was a rough year for me, man. And, and, and I end up, you know, playing, getting, getting better, playing well. And Al Newman said, Hey man, you're going to the big leagues one day. And it was August 21st. I'm like, big leave? Stop playing, man. He was such a jokester. And I walked out, and he came running after me and screaming to everybody, Tory's going to the big leave, guys. I, I broke out crying. I knew it was serious, and I broke out crying because I almost gave up. I almost That almost give up moment changed my life. And so I got to the big leave, sent back down, and 98 got to the big league, sent back down. In 99, I stayed. Then 2000, playing pretty well, getting hot. And while I was hot, 
I got sent down to the minor leagues. I don't know if it was, you know, how they play the numbers games as far as uh, uh, arbitration eligibility. Arbit- right. They want to they they keep you under that arbitration to, to keep control of you. Right. See, I don't know if it was that, but I'm pretty sure it was that. And uh, and so I got sent down, and and I was so hurt, I was so hurt and devastated. But I, I had to look back and be like, hey, you remember when you were about to quit in 1997? You can't you can't quit and give up now. So I just went down there, worked on my swing a, a little more. A guy named Bill Springman just told me some different things: get my foot down, be ready to hit. And I went down there, and hit 368. Um, uh, 18 home runs and 78 RBIs within six weeks, and it that's when my that's when I my confidence and not my arrogance, but my confidence that's from within. It started telling me that man, you you can play this game if you really want to, and I think that's when you know I, I felt like I became a major league player after about three years, four years of being in the major leagues up and down. Well, I think about that too a lot. You know, I played against a lot of uh, great players and great guys, and I played with a lot of great players and great guys. And it seems like, uh, you know, telling your story and the adversity that you had gone through, it seems like we've all got to go through something in our life that really humbles mm-hmm. us to, mm-hmm. to, to, to when we have success and things are going great, we can look back and go, yeah, but remember where I came from. And, and, I think that that kind of came across from you across the diamond as as a as a competitor as a uh, someone I was playing against. So I, you had that ability that not too many players have. That opponents mm-hmm. liked you because I wanted to hate mm-hmm. your guts. I wanted to hate everybody, especially those pitchers <laughs> when I go out there. But it's like Tori, give me that big smile. How could I dislike that man? You know, and and you seem like you were always having fun playing the game. And I always appreciated playing you guys. And you have your boy over there, Jock Jones. He'd be looking at me talking mm-hmm. about USC. But uh, I really enjoyed my yeah. time. Uh, it seems like for you, I mean, when I think of Torrey Hunter, and I think when most baseball people think of Torrey, I remember, you know, I saw you playing in Anaheim in, in Detroit. Um, mm-hmm. But but you kind of, Torrey and the Twins kind of go hand in hand. That's, that's kind of your place. Uh, you did a lot of damage there. But. When you were in Minnesota, you were there from '97, uh, I think, to '07. Mm-hmm. And uh, who were your early influences in in uh, Minnesota? I know in Seattle, I had my guys that kind of took me under their wing when I was a kid. Who took you under their wing and and kind of taught you the ropes? Man, it's, it's crazy because uh, from you know '93 to like 2007, you know, I had a lot of guys that kind of helped me out. A guy by the name of Jerry White, you know, he played the major leagues nine years, you know, in the 80s, 70s and 80s. But he taught me a lot of different things. And Al Newman and, you know, um, um, Killebrew, uh, Tony Oliva, Rod Carew. I mean, I, I had so many guys that imparted in me. But the two guys that, that just helped me change my mindset was uh, Paul Molitor and Kirby Puckett. You know, they kind of just talked to me about financial literacy they talked to me about um, investing. They talked to me about my marriage. They talked to me how to carry myself. You know, not just about baseball. You know they did that. But they, they, they showed me how to be a man, you know, and how to, you know, respect others and respect authority and different things like that, but also just enjoy yourself and have fun. They taught me not to play for the applause. You know, you play for the applause and then they boo you. 
your emotions go up and down. And they said, focus on the pitcher, focus on the game, focus on your teammate when you're playing the game. It was hard to do when I first started, but just by those guys giving me uh, that advice and, and sharpening me, um, it kind of it took me a long way. You know, there's no way I played 19 years in the major leagues if it wasn't for those those two guys right there that really imparted to me to listen. And I was able to listen to other guys and other teammates. And when you came over, I listened to some of the things you said. And, you know, and I, I always had an open mind. I wasn't attached to anything. I was open to everything. Yeah, and, and it's uh, you mentioned you mentioned Paul Molitor, who just recently was on the Boone podcast, and uh, I couldn't imagine having a better. You mentioned him as one of your two guys. I, I couldn't imagine yeah. ha- having a better mentor than Paulie. Not only was he just a great, great player, but a smart player, and just carried himself. Yeah. And I and I always used to look at him. You know, he was going when I had him as a as a hitting coach in two thousand four. That was his year. He got inducted in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And I just used to watch him and how he carried himself. So I'm like, now that is the most humble Hall of Famer I've ever seen. And it's always stuck right. with me. We had him on the podcast, by the way. He had a lot of really kind things to say about Torrey Hunter, and, and uh, which didn't surprise me at all. But it was uh, pretty cool catching up with him. Okay, so we come, with, we come up with we come up with the term Spider-Man. And you got that from, from climbing walls, robbing home runs. I, I saw you rob a lot of home runs. I think the most <laughs> the most famous one was the obvious. It was your first All-Star game in 02. And you took it away from Bonds. And he came out, you know, probably the best player. Well, definitely the best player in the game at the time. And he grabbed you and he kind of picked you up. And it was a pretty cool moment, I thought, for the game mm-hmm. of baseball. Is that where you got the Spider-Man or, or was it from somewhere else? Well, it was... Uh... I think it was before that. Um, I think ESPN uh, had me on some highlights, and and uh, and I think Harold Reynolds, uh, when he was with ESPN, and of course he's with MLB Network now, but he was with ESPN at the time. And I, and you know, I, I think they used to have those web gems. Remember that? And mm-hmm. uh, and and he was just talking about. They did a segment and and made me dress up as Spider Man, uh, and then they unveiled me. And I, you know, I thought it was cool because I, I grew up a Spider-Man fan. You know, I, I love Spider-Man, everything about it. Uh, but I guess I got the name from being stuck on the wall. Even if it was painful, I still got stuck on the wall. I might have caught a ball, but I can tell you it was painful. I probably pretend like it didn't hurt. It hurt. It, it shook my inside. And, uh, and so uh, just getting that name from jumping on the wall, over the wall, and running to the wall, sticking on the wall, even in my pain, I got that name. So I, I, you know, I, I guess I got, I got to take it for what it's worth. It was, it was pretty, pretty cool name to have in Major League Baseball. And I, you know, as a kid, you don't, you grow up and you don't know you're gonna get a nickname and in baseball with a, you know, all the millions of people who's watching, they, they know that your name is Spider Man. I, I didn't know that, so I'm thankful and grateful, you know, that I even had a nickname. Oh, it's that's it's so cool when you get something like that because you had nothing to do with it, and all of a sudden they're calling you Spider Man. But it's from a flattering uh, place, which is really yeah. I, you know, and you could just walk around and shake. Hey, I didn't name myself Spider Man, but it's a pretty cool name to have. <laughs> it's right, a really right. cool name I to have, man. <laughs> I could have been walking around like, yeah, man, my my name's Spider Man. They'd be like, what's your name? My name's Spider Man. No, that's, that's not what I do, man. I, I just, I go out and play. And the reason why I got that name is 
because of the work that you put in. You know, a lot of people name themselves and they hadn't done anything. You got to put in some work. I don't care if it's sports or business or, or anything. Put in the work first and let people make a, create a name for you. You don't come around creating your own name and you hadn't done anything and you never lived up to it. You got to do it. They'll give you a name when you do what you do. And I that's, agree with that's that. how I got it. So after the 07 season, uh, you end up signing with Anaheim. It's kind of a new chapter of your life. Right. Probably weird for you, you know, growing up in the Twins yeah. organization, playing that long there. Then all of a sudden you're, you're, uh, you're back and you're going to Anaheim. Tell me about those years a little bit and tell me about Mr. Trout and Mr. Albert Pujols, <laughs> what, what it was like being teammates with those two guys. Current, probably best player in the game. And Albert, one of the best hitters, his first 10 years in the game, people that don't know out there, if you're ever bored, just flip over Albert Pujols' bubblegum card from his first 10 years in the big leagues, arguably mm. the greatest 10 years ever. So what was it like in Anaheim and playing with those guys? Man, you know, I, um, you know, just transitioning from, you know, the twins where I thought I was going to spend my whole career there. I grew up, I was 17 when I was drafted with those guys and, and I ended up leaving at 31 years old and I was a man when I left. So, you know, it, it really just stripped me in my heart that, you know, I've outplayed myself in Minnesota and they couldn't afford me anymore. And that's what they told me. And, uh, and, and I ended up going to Anaheim, the place that I respected. They played the game kind of like the Twins, but it was a bigger market. Uh, uh, sunshine. I was working on my tan every day, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and then um, just going over to grass. You know, I was on turf for that long. And when I went to grass, I was like, whoa, this feels great. I had no soreness. I didn't have to sit in the cold tub. My feet felt good. I was like, this is awesome. And I, I had my great, uh, I had a great career over there with the Angels. Uh, they treated me with love and respect. And it was tough that first homestand in 2008. You know, you know, you, you're there. We, we started off on the road, but when I came back on that first homestand, we're playing Cleveland, and I'm like, man, I, I, I want the fans to know me. It's my first time leaving Minnesota Twins, where I was comfortable. Now I'm in an uncomfortable position, but that means I'm growing. And uh, I, I think we were playing Cleveland, and I hit a home run to tie the game in the ninth. And then um, and 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 people were screaming and yelling. It was, I felt like that was that time where I um, I felt like I was at home. You know, I felt like they accepted me, they adopted me. And then and we went extra innings. And then in the twelfth, the bases were loaded. Uh, this was in April. Uh, our first homestand and bases was loaded. You know, it's still a tie game. And it's, it, I think it's like two outs. And I hit a grand slam to win the game. And after that, I felt like I was a part of the team. And I'm running around the bases and I saw all these guys at the, you know, at the home plate, Garrett Anderson and, you know, Gary Matthews Jr. And all these guys are sitting there waiting on me. And, and, uh, and I ran in and I was like, man, now I feel like I'm home. And fast forward to that, here you go. We dropped this guy named Mike Trout. You know, I've watched this guy play, you know, in the minor leagues. I'm like, man, this guy's fast. He gets a lot of base hits. He didn't have the power. He had power, but he didn't really showcase his power 
until he got to the big leagues. And um, I think they had him beating the ball on the ground in a minor league and utilizing his speed. Um, but in 2011, when he came up to the major leagues, I was so impressed with this kid from August and September, but he just banged. I mean, he was destroying the ball, and he had a great eye. He's 20, 19, 20 years old. Uh, and then 2012, getting Albert Pujols, of course, you know, one of the best hitters of our time, uh, if not the best hitter of our time. Of course, I always say Barry Bonds was, but uh, Albert Pujols was definitely a great hitter. For him to come over, and I had a chance to play with one of the greatest players, you know, two of the uh, greatest players in baseball history, you know, I'm, I'm truly honored and grateful, grateful to, to, you know, to kind of impart, have some some uh, some some ways I, I'm parted into Trout to how to carry himself and what to do with his money, just like Kirby and Paul Mahler did for me. I was able to, you know, start a foundation with him and just to be a part of Trout Foundation, man, this is just truly an honor. He still, he sent me a Christmas card. He always calls me. We talk about everything and, and uh, and we, it's the brotherhood that I built with him. That's what I like. Very cool. Then you go on to Detroit. I read a little blurb, little story. Uh, Porcello was number had your number, and he gave it mm-hmm. to you. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. I've been in two situations like that. I've had a, I've gone to a team and and somebody gave up a number. <laughs> but the year I went to the Atlanta Braves, I was always number 29, except for that year. Cause John Smoltz was 29. He's like, boom, I got two Cy Youngs. I get to keep my number. And you know, we laughed about it, but, uh, Porcello gave up his number for you in Detroit. How'd, how'd that come about? <laughs> well, I, I didn't really ask for it, you know, and he just said, man, you come over here. I'll be willing to give it to you, you know? And, and, um, and he actually, it was in my locker. And I'm like, man, I appreciate it. He said, man, you know what? It's, it's on you. So I paid him 10 grand. <laughs> I gave him 10 grand. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the story I was enough. looking for. There's always huh? something. There's always a story. That's what I was trying to get out of you. Oh, yeah, you know that. I, I mean, I, uh, I paid him a little bit. Um, not, but it was after he made the decision already. He didn't want the, he didn't want the money. And I didn't even offer the money. It was just like I felt so bad. He had that number. I faced him in that number with other teams, and and when I came over, he just he respectfully gave it gave it up, and without me telling him I want that number, and I didn't go to the Tigers and tell him I want that number. Porcello offered it offered the uh, the jersey number up. I mean, he's this guy was uh, young and and uh, and one of our best pitchers in 2013. Um, we had a nice rotation in 2013, but uh, I've always had respect for Porcello. Still to this day, he's still I call him little bro, and uh, we still reach out to each other and play poker and do all those things together. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm proud of his career, the way he handled himself, and the way he's grown, and and uh, and and I love the way he goes about his business. Speaking of 2013, you you got. Your uh, 300th homer in 2013. <laughs> special was that a special one for you? Oh man, that was that was special. You know how you're trying to you're at 299, and you know the guys are pushing. You need to get it today. You need to get it today. Well, ten days went by, <laughs> and <laughs> you you're trying to get that that last home run. You go in the little funk because you're trying to swing for the fence. 
in two old counts and three one counts. The next thing you know, you foul it off. You you pull it at home run and you and it's foul and you're like, man, now I'm two. I got you know I'm o two and three two and I got two strikes now. I gotta kind of make sure I make contact in a certain situation. So. Man, at 299, being stuck at 299, I never forget those 10 days. And so when I got it, everybody knew I was trying, and it was just a relief. And it's tripped out. What's tripped out is my first home run, I was with Minnesota playing against the Detroit Tigers. My 300 home runs, I'm with the Tigers and hit it against Minnesota, at Minnesota. So I'm like, man, this is this is crazy. My first home run was in Tiger State against the Tigers. And 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 here it here I am hitting a home run against the 300 home run, which is a special mark for me. It was against the Minnesota Twins. So how fitting! Yeah, how cool too to be doing it in front of the you know team you played for for so long. So you come back in 2015 where it all started. Back to Minnesota. How was that? How was that final year for you? Was it emotional? Was it? I don't know. Just tell me what it was. What it was like? Well, you know, and after 2014. Um, you know, I, I was still in some type of way, you know, uh, we, we lost the playoffs against the Baltimore Orioles and cleaning out my locker, you know, I'm, you know, it's just, I felt like it was something there that I didn't, I, I, I'm losing my drive. Right. And I'm like, well, I got to play another year. I went to my sons, I went to my wife and talked to them and it's like, well, just make sure it's out of your system. Cause we don't need you to have no attitude when you're at home. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so I uh, played another year. Uh, the Twins came to me with a, a nice offer, and and um, and I, I went back to Minnesota in 2015, and and it was tough, man. It was it was difficult because it was a young, it was a really young team, you know. And and so I had to be, I was trying to be creative and and not be that old salty veteran, you know. I never wanted to be that guy, so I'm trying to figure out ways to be creative. The first. The first five games of the season, we lost. And and when we lost every game, you know, I was kind of uh, coming in the clubhouse and I would see guys on their cell phone. They're laughing at pictures and social media. You know, we lost five games in a row, the first five games. I'm like, man, this is – I can't handle this. We You lose. You're supposed to sit in your locker and talk about how we can get better. How And I couldn't understand it. And, uh, and I never wanted to be that salty veteran. But I had to say 15 minutes after we lose the game, don't nobody get on their phone, sit there and think about how we lost, right? And uh, and I can see myself being that guy, and that's not me. So I kind of got creative and, and got a smoke machine. I got strobe lights in the clubhouse, and I had a, uh, uh, bubbles, a bubble machine, and it had disco lights and different things like that, and uh, masks that light up. And every time we won, our first game we won, it was against the Kansas City Royals at home. And people were at hands giving high fives, and guys were walking in. The lights were cut off. And I had the doors closed to the locker room. And when they opened the doors, it was like a disco. You know, and I, and I said, we win, we dance. And that was our slogan. And I, I had a mask, and I was on top of the table, you know, <laughs> with my shirt off <laughs> dancing and going crazy. And it was like everybody just kind of – caught on so every time we won we had disco lights and and smoke machine and bubbles and and we danced for like 10 minutes it was mandatory that everybody danced for 10 minutes on a on a uh, victory and we we end up playing some really good ball that year we got kicked out of playoff contention 
the Saturday of the last game of that uh, of the season, and it was against the Royals, and the Royals went on to win the World Series that year. Very cool. Yeah, I, I guess you, it, it's easy to tell, and it, that's good for the for the press after the game that they know the mood. You know, maybe they, they if the disco lights aren't going, maybe they won't bug you. Oh yeah, yeah. They they did. They knew we won. They just gave it an extra ten minutes, and it'd be smoky in there when they're doing their interviews after the game. Uh, <laughs> when we lose, we we lost the game. We we played. Don't worry about a thing. It would be Bob Marley, but we wasn't celebrating. We just, you know, hey, don't worry about it. Come back tomorrow, ready to go. So guys kind of caught on, trying to. They wanted to dance. They wanted to see the strobe lights. It was just something great. I, I saw the. I think it was the Cubs do it one time, and they did it once. And I'm like, man, we're gonna make this a lifestyle. And and I just kind of made it a lifestyle. We we won when everybody thought we was supposed to lose. We actually went. And, uh, and had a winning record that year with the youngest team in baseball. So you, <clears throat> when it's all said and done, you finish with nine gold gloves, you know, like I said, to open the program, one of the best I ever played against. Uh, and I've had mm-hmm. a lot of really top guys, top center fielders on this podcast with Junior and Andrew and, and Mike Cameron. And I asked mm-hmm. them all about center field. Who, who did you look to? Who Who were guys that you look to could be growing up or or while you were playing what other center fielders did you really look and say that guy's good man for for me it's crazy because uh griffey was the guy the kid the the marketed guy um he hit the homers he he had fun his hat was backwards and center field he was you know he played hard even though he was a superstar but he played like he was not you know, in center field, he played hard. And uh, and that's what I really loved about Griffey. But when you look at uh, Mike Cameron, and then I saw Andrew Jones, who was stylish. You know, he had style. He caught the ball low. He went off the balls gracefully. Uh, but Mike Cameron was somebody that I really loved. You know, I loved the way he played the game. I loved him in center field. He robbed me once of a three-run home run in Seattle. Um and I, I, I was so hurt, but yet so proud that that's the feeling they have when I robbed them. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, he made me have that feeling running around first base. And I was like, oh, a three-run homer that would have gave us the lead, he robbed it. And I never had nobody rob me. And, and I was just so impressed, but it's sad at the same time. And, uh, and so, yeah, he, Mike Cameron was definitely one of my – my, my favorite center fielders, uh, Andrew Jones and, and Ken Griffey Jr. as well. But you, you know what? I, I, I still had a thing for Steve Finley because I didn't see him make too many errors. It, was, it wasn't smooth, it was, but he did the job. So I always had a respect for him as well. I'll tell you this, and you mentioned Steve Finley. I got a chance to play with all four of you. Played with Junior when I was a kid. Uh, played with Andrew in Atlanta one year. Um, and Cammy for a few years in Seattle. And then I got to play with you for about a minute <laughs> right at the yeah. very end. But I got to watch you play a lot. You mentioned Steve Finley. Out of all the great center fielders I played with, played against, that dude robbed me more than anyone. And I'm not talking about home runs. I'm talking about base hits. And, and it's right. almost, it almost got to a point where it was in my head, and I think it was in his head. 
Like we go, we go have a series with the San Diego Padres and he's going to rob me of a hit, a double, whatever it may be. And he's just going to come in laughing at me because he knows he always robs me, <laughs> but that's the one guy. And you brought him up. I'm like, out of all these great center fielders, Finley's the one that was the thorn in my side. And that's, that's interesting. You bring him up. I want to talk a little bit more yeah. about your center field for you. Uh, you were you were in one place a long time in Minnesota, and then you went to Anaheim. We we already discussed that, but did it matter to you as a center fielder who was in left and who was in right, or was that a pretty easy adjustment uh, depending on you know who was out there with you? Man, um, <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to Mike Jordan, but you got to have two Scotty Pippins. If you can get two Scotty Pippins on your team, pretty impressive, you know. I I know one year, um, one year we had a guy named by the name of Peter Borges. I don't know if you remember him with the Twins. I mean, he had a, I, I, he played about nine years in the big leagues, but um, didn't Borges he, come up with the with the Angels? Yeah, he was he was with the Angels. Yeah, I remember um, that. And 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 then we had Mike Trout. So it was it was me and Wright out, and Peter Borges was in center, and Trout was in left field. I swear to you, for three months, did no one get a hit? I'm like, God, this is a, this is a, probably one of the best outfielders, outfields I've been a part of with speed. Uh, guys have precise. Uh, just because you have speed, sometimes you don't have those right angles. You have to make up because of your speed. You can make up for. It. But Trout, the way I watch the game, and and then Peter Borges, they went straight to the ball where it was going to drop. They didn't have no banana routes or anything, even though they had speed. And and I taught myself that, of course. And so our defense was like, you can't penetrate that uh, in the outfield. And then I think Jock Jones and myself and Shannon Stewart um, um, in 2003, I thought was one of the best outfields that I've been a part of. So Jock and left. And, uh, and right, and then Shannon Stewart and left, and I was in center. You got to have Scotty Pippen. You know, at one, at one point I had Juan Rivera, and then I had, you know, at an older age was Bobby Abreu and right. And I swear to you, I, I, I think I lost about 30 pounds that year. <laughs> You're going to be I covering was, a lot of ground. You're Kelly Leak I, out there from the Bad News yeah, Bears. I was Kelly Leak, but I was 35. <laughs> I was like 34, yeah. something like that. And I was running my butt off that year. I'm like, oh, my God. And they would look for me to catch that thing, too. And uh, that's when I was like, you know what? I-, I think I need to step down and go to right field and play a little longer. And and I went to uh, um, Mike Socia, and I told him, I said, man, it's time for me to go to right, man. I think it's time for me to go to right. He's like, no. He said no for, for about three or four months. And I, I told him they were killing me out there. And uh, then he finally called uh, Peter Borges up, like in August, and uh, in 2000, I think 11, and that's when I went to right field. And it, man, I I hit for more power. I had my legs were were good. You know, it was it was amazing going to right field. I was a better player, and it it and I was I was 35 at the time. So and so I let I appreciate uh, Mike Soch just kind of you know went ahead and, and, and let me go to right field and not stay in center field that year because I, I would have been burned out uh, in the end of the season. So that, that's how I got to right field. So now you're, you're retired, you're living in Texas, and you're, you're doing what a lot of us are doing. You're getting a chance to watch all your, uh, 
your kids grow up and, and you had a son that played football for Notre Dame, which is, by the way, I went to USC. That's our rival. I don't like Notre Dame. Yeah, man. We played you, you guys got a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. You got a son in the minor leagues. What's what's a uh, a retired Tory Hunter sitting in the stands like? Do, do you appreciate it? Do you like it? Because uh, I've got a chance to do it with my kids. And, and it's almost more exciting for me when, when my kids do well than, than even when I was playing. You know, we got so much crap going on when we're playing. We don't think about it. But now to sit there and watch your kid, what's it like for you? Man, it's, it's um, I guess it, you know, for me, when I got real tired, I, only, I never, I rarely say I was retired. I got real tired of baseball and I left. <laughs> and, uh, but I, um, I look now and I watch my kids play. Tory Jr. played at Notre Dame football. It's like, you know, I can't be too critical because I played on that stage where, you know, if I didn't play on a higher stage, I'd probably be like, what's he doing? What's he thinking about? I can't believe he did that. You know, da, 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 because you never really have tremendous failure on the higher stage. So he's playing at Notre Dame where they're getting 100,000 people a game. And if he fumble or he'd miss a, a mess up a route or miss a pass. I didn't get upset with him, you know, because you just don't know all the, the things that happened in, within the game. Something could have happened. He saw something, tried to make an adjustment, didn't work out. Um, so I don't get upset with him. And even in baseball, now he's now Torrey Jr. is now with the Angels, uh, and my son Money is with Montreal Alouettes in Canada, Canadian football. And I have another son, Darius, who played college football as well. Uh, he, he's you know, with family man now. Uh, but I have two sons that are playing pro ball. So just watching these guys, when they make mistakes, I don't really get upset. You know, I might say, what was he thinking right there? I wonder what he was thinking. We'll talk about it later on. Uh, but other than that, you know, it's let them go do their work. Even in high school, because of, of me playing professional ball, I just say, you know what? You know, what, what, what were your thought process right there? And then when you hear them, say what they were thinking, you can kind of relate that you're trying to make an adjustment. It just didn't work out. And I like that creativity. So uh, it was different. You know, I hear, I see a lot of parents screaming and yelling at their kid and different things like that. And it's because they really don't know what it takes. Yeah. And me, you know, growing up with my dad doing it before me, I know what it's like being a kid in that spot. And all, all your buddies are, oh, you're so-and-so's son. And da, 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 da. So, you know, that Tory Hunter's kids, especially when they're young, young, they're going to get that mm-hmm. same type of treatment. So I always tried to to have the attitude of, you know, go. To, I always try to sit in the stance and let nobody know I was there and you wouldn't know I was there. Cause I'm not going to say anything and wait for them to right. come to me. Now, if you come to me with a question, you might get an earful from me, but I, I was never going to really push them or, or push it on them. I'm there to, Hey, when you're ready to talk, let's talk. But, but it's interesting. Right. You've got a bunch of, bunch of kids playing at, at high levels. All right. Now I want to yeah. get to something yeah. I know is near and dear to your heart. And that's RBI, Reviving Baseball in the Inner Cities. Tell me a little bit about that. Tell me the work. You, you've been doing it for a long time, I think. Uh, just just oh, kind of yeah. wrap up the whole thing for me. Tell me tell me what got you into it, and, and how's it going now? Uh, man, um, you know, it's something it's, – it's crazy because in, a, in the minor leagues, you know, we, you know, you play in the minor leagues. We didn't make much at all. And I had, like, five roommates, and, and uh, <laughs> so – Every once in a while, they have on this board, they put on this board at night 
and say, hey, 7 a.m., sign this, this sheet if you guys want to go speak for $250 or uh, go to a hospital or burn unit for 500 bucks or go speak to a, a youth baseball team for 250 bucks. And so I would sign up all the time because I needed the extra cash, right? right. And right. I would sign up. And while I was signing up and I, you know, go do these things at 7 in the morning, we got a day game at 1, right? and you know you got to be there at 9, be ready for uh, batting practice. And uh, so I would do it at 7 a.m., getting up at 6.30 and meeting the guy who's driving me there. And it, But it, just going to those burn units to go feed the homeless, to go to Ronald McDonald's house and, and, and go to these programs on the field, it kind of it made me into somebody. It helped me become someone, you know, become um, someone that wants to give back. And, and me growing up uh, in the inner city as well, um, I was able to communicate with a lot of kids in the inner city as far as youth baseball goes. Uh, baseball saved my life. It gave me an opportunity to travel, to see things and at 13 years old, never been on a plane. Baseball gave me the opportunity to get on a plane, to look down and see how sectioned off the, the United States were. You know, I, I had the opportunity to see the clouds and, and fly uh, um, uh in, through mountains and, and live with people that eat dinner together, which we never did because our parents worked so hard and never really got a chance to eat around the table only in Thanksgiving and, and share uh, different thoughts of, of our future and what, what was our vision, our goals and different things like that. And actually at 13 years old, baseball gave me an opportunity to be different. And when I came back to the uh, inner city, it just shifted me you know, shifted my mindset and, and knew I wanted something different. And uh, so I try to create that same sentiment uh, with other kids. And that's why I give back whether it's scholarships, uh, feeding the homeless, uh, food, shelter, and clothing, whatever it may be. I try to give back as much as I can because it's just, you know, for us to be, you know, uh, have a privilege and blessed to play the game of baseball. And it's not just the game of baseball. I think God allow us to be on the platform uh, to get revenue to feed other people. So, uh, and I, I think that's one thing that uh, I feel like we have this platform to do those things and make a difference in the world. That's awesome. That's honorable stuff and, and very cool. Um, yeah. What do I got for you? All right. I came up with this. I'm going to give you, give me a sentence. I'm going to name just, these are through your career. I pick some old school guys and I pick some, some modern day guys, but mm -hmm. uh, I got five pitchers. I'm going to just name them and you're going to give me, you're just going to sum up what comes to your mind when you think of them. You ready? All right. Here we go. Pedro Martinez. Oh my God. Best wicked slider ever. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Verlander. Explosive fastball in the ninth inning though. Felix Hernandez. Split finger from hell. Mariano Rivera. Cutter that will cut your bat up. And he's passed now, but uh, Roy Halladay. Man, Roy Halladay. Uh, he, we call him Doc because he, he all he did was uh, he just 
had surgery on every player. Every hitter that he faced, he, he created a surgery out of hell. I mean, this guy had a slider that he hit on the outside corner, then a sinker that was down and in, then a straight fastball that was up and in to get you thinking up and in and finish you with a slider down and away. He just, he just had surgery on every player, every hitter all the time, and that's why they call him Doc Holliday. Very cool. Tori Hunter, it's been an honor. I, I really appreciate you coming on. That was a lot of fun. Hey, I want to wish you, you and your family. Uh, you. I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And uh, good luck to all those kids you got running all over the map. <laughs> playing man, I got grandkids, man. Can you believe my kids uh, got kids? My kids are married, <laughs> man. They, they're, they're grown with beards and gray strips in their beards. Can you believe that? <laughs> I can believe it. I can believe it. All right. What we do with this, what we do with this uh, segment at the end of the Boone podcast is we get a question from the fans. And to give that question is the voice of the podcast, Dan Levy. Dan, you there? Oh, I'm here. Here I am, guys. How are you? <laughs> there he is, the voice. <laughs> what up, Tori? What's up, Dan? How you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, I got a question for you. This one is from okay. Lou in Queens, and he wants to know, is baseball doing enough to get kids to play baseball? Oh, man. Um, man, we always can do more. All of us. Even in my marriage, I can do more. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, you know, it, with our kids, we can do more. But maybe baseball is you know, they always can do more. We can always find something in anything and everything and everybody that we can do more of. And Major League Baseball is doing their part. They can do more. We can complain. But, you know, and but I, I think they are trying to do some things and trying to make some adjustments, trying to figure out how. how and uh, they're starting to uh, do more marketing. And, and, uh, and especially inner city kids, they're, they're hiring Jerry Manuel and Tony Regans and, and uh, Rajai Davis uh, into the, the front office to help them uh, figure out how can they get more African-Americans or inner-city kids to play the game. So can they do more? Yes. Are they doing some things? Yes. They're, you know, it's kind of like a catch-22. All right. Well, Tori Hunter, thank you so much for coming on the Brett Boone Podcast. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. It was, it was a hot seat. Brett Boone was really... <laughs> Uh, putting it on <laughs> Thanks, Tori. All right, guys. Have a good one. Mailbag. All right, Brett. You know that sound. It is time for the Brett Boone Mailbag. You ready to rock and roll? I'm ready to go. All right. Let's get it on. Okie dokie. This one is from Lee in Seattle. Brett, what is the best Christmas gift you've ever gotten? Could this be childhood? Could be anything. I got a snowmobile for my 12th birthday. It was the greatest gift I've ever had. You got a snowmobile? When I was 12, I lived in New Jersey. Problem was, there was no snow. (laughs) So you never used it once? I I used it maybe once or twice. Dad sold it because he got traded to the Angels. Hmm. And there was... And uh, moved us out to Southern California. So that was that. But that was my <laughs> my biggest moment because I never thought he'd get me one. I always wanted a motorcycle and, you know, a bunch of my buddies had motorcycles. He didn't. Uh, my parents said, no, we don't want you having a motorcycle. They're too dangerous. And I thought, no way 
I'm ever going to get a snowmobile because it, it would <laughs> snow enough. And I got one. It was the biggest day of my life, and I got to use it one time. And then, like I said, we went to Southern Cal. But uh, pretty awesome gift. How old were you when your dad got traded? Uh, I think I was 13 years old. 13 or 14. What was that like to know that you had to move away from your friends and family and then have to go somewhere well, and get traded? At first, it, at first, it wasn't a big deal because dad said he was going to keep us in New Jersey and let us grow up. And then he, he went away. We went out for the summer to visit him. And then the next year, he said, no, I can't do this. I'm not going to have my family sit back in New Jersey while I play in Southern Cal. So uh, he moved us all out there. The boys... Uh, myself and, and my two brothers, we came kicking and screaming. We, we, we were Jersey kids. We, we didn't want to come out. But uh, once we got here, we realized, well, this ain't that bad. It's probably the best move we ever made from an athletic standpoint. <laughs> All right. Here, let's go back into the bag, shall we? This one is from Joe in Santa Maria. Brett, you mentioned playing against your dad's team in the minors. Did he talk to you the night before or the day of the game? And did you see him after the game? That's from Joe in Santa Maria. Uh, usually. He was in, in the minor leagues. We played in uh, – he was in Tacoma, which was the A's at the time. And I was in Calgary, Canada. So, yeah, pretty much whenever we were playing the Tacoma – I think it was the Tacoma Tigers back then. Yeah, that was the only time during the season when I was going to get to see Dad. So, you know, we'd usually have dinners and, you know, lunch before the game or, or breakfast or something. So, yeah, I was I was always talking to him, especially the days I was in town. That wasn't a big deal. You know, we had that, it, we had that relationship where it was very much father-son uh, until we got to the ballpark. And in that particular situation, it was – he was the enemy – you know, once I walked through those gates at about three in the afternoon, I wanted to kick Bob Boone's butt. And the enemy deserves no mercy. All right. Let's go back into the bag, shall we? All right. Brett, this is from Bill in Cleveland. Who is your favorite football team? <sighs> Don't really have one. I'm really interested wherever Brady's playing. I'm just uh, – I'm. I'm fascinated by how he's still able to do it at this age. Uh, so I do keep my eye on him. Um, but I, I stay true. Kind of, kind of, I keep my one eye open on the Eagles because I grew up in Jersey and, and the Eagles back there, that's a big thing. You know, the Eagles are big. If you're not watching the Eagle games and you're from Jersey, well, then they'll kick you out of Jersey. And then just from my time in Seattle, I keep my eye on the Seahawks and, and I, I kind of pull for them. I don't necessarily have a favorite team is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> in a roundabout way, we have none. So that's your, that's your answer. Correct. Bill in Cleveland, you came up with a milk dud, but good to know. Good to know. All right. Well, we want to thank all those who went ahead and sent messages over towards Brett Boone. And that was done on Twitter at the Boone 29. You can also send messages and follow Brett on Facebook and Instagram. He also is available for those outlets. We want to thank Tori Hunter for jumping on the podcast with us. This has been the Brett Boone podcast. My name is Dan Levy. We'll do it again next time. Take care, everybody. See ya.